0: Today, Larry has a guest, and they're going to be talking about the five most common legal issues businesses face, and his guest is Lee Schwartz. Lee Schwartz is the managing and founding partner of Schwartz Ettinger, a business law firm located in Melville. Lee has practiced law for over 25 years in the area of corporate and real estate law and all aspects of trust and estates. Lee advises companies on their day-to-day activities, as well as negotiating and structuring corporate acquisitions and sales. His extensive legal experience in this area and his business background allow him to offer practical solutions to his clients' challenges. Lee's clients refer to him as a deal maker, not deal breaker. Lee is a proud alumnus of the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan, as well as Brooklyn Law School. Larry, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing
1: terrific, Eric. How are you?
0: I'm doing fantastic, and what a bio, man! So Lee Schwartz is pretty impressive, and I haven't even seen him yet, so I'm assuming he's just dashing as well.
1: <laughs> uh, we, we won't hold the Michigan alumni against him, since okay. uh, my kids yeah. went to Indiana and uh, Ohio State, so we'll, we'll, we'll keep that keep that at bay. Keep that on
0: the low. Maybe we can edit it out of the podcast later if you want, uh, <laughs> Larry. How did you meet Lee?
1: so lee and i actually met in a networking group and then it turns out we recognize each other because our offices are actually right next to each other
0: oh nice did you carpool
1: <laughs> no we didn't carpool we, we <laughs> met now, we though, met yeah. as we were there and then yeah. i'm like well oh, he looks familiar and then we realized our offices were ne- we next door
2: Right, And on. then at the end of the meeting, we'd race back to the office to see who got here first. <laughs> <laughs> the other one has to buy the other person lunch. That's perfect.
0: Now we All just right.
1: do meetings in the men's room. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, however it works, Larry, I'm going to let you take over from here, man. This is, this is out of my wheelhouse. So, <laughs> Lee, thank you for being here. Thank you for
1: having me. Yeah, you bet. So, Lee, thank you for joining us today, and we're going to start right off, and why don't you tell us, what are the five most common legal issues that most businesses face in connection with running their business?
2: Well, I can tell you, as a business attorney, uh, I find that there's probably, uh, the most common one are employee-related issues. Uh, Secondly, I find that there's issues between the owners of the business uh, that often come up. Third, real estate issues. Every business has to operate from somewhere. Uh, so most of the time there there are things that come up there. Fourth, I would say is having proper agreements in place and what type of uh, agreement depends on the nature of what the business is. Uh, and lastly, some businesses have intellectual property rights that they need to protect. Uh, so I would say, uh, generally speaking, those are the five most common issues that uh, businesses face. And, and that seems to cover a
1: lot of different topics. So why don't we kind of talk about some of the specifics of each one? So why don't you tell me some of the employee-related employee issues that you think businesses
2: owners experience? So I, th- I think the most common problem uh, are ensuring that you're complying with the ever-increasing employment laws that exist. And we have two categories. You have New York laws and federal laws. They're not always the same. They're somewhat similar sometimes, but they have different applications depending maybe upon the size of the business or even the industry in which you're in. Uh, One of the things that uh, clients are most concerned about, uh, at least recently, is uh, there was a, a sexual harassment prevention law that was enacted about a year and a half ago. And it requires sexual harassment training to be given to every employee every year, and it applies no matter how small the business is. Some of the other laws that I've seen uh, that have come up recently are restrictions on questions you can ask people when they come for interviews.
1: Yeah, I've I've heard about that in New York City. Is it now expanded to other parts of the state?
2: Yes, it it has. I believe it's a statewide restriction, uh, but there are, as you pointed out, certain things that apply if you run a business in the city, uh, and some, Laws that apply if you run a business outside the city, where uh, there are state versus city laws. So, so give me a,
1: kind of a what do you mean by a rest- restriction?
2: One of the restrictions is you can't ask a candidate how much they're making in their current job, and the purpose of that is to try and create pay equality between uh, male and females as well as people of different races. So, if you're already making less because of your race, they don't want to perpetuate that.
1: And what happens if you do ask?
2: Uh, I'm not certain. <laughs> but, but, but you could certainly be reported to the Labor Department. They can do an investigation uh, and where it goes from there, I don't know. Okay. But, but certainly our, our, our suggestion to our clients is comply. Gotcha. Don't, don't be the person who's going to be on the front page of uh, uh, the New York Post as violating the law. Uh, another one that just came up is that New York City has enacted a law that I believe goes into effect on May 1st Uh, that prohibits drug testing for marijuana, pre-employment, except for certain types of positions. And those positions generally involve employment where there's safety, public safety involved, you know, bus driver, uh, pilot. I can't remember what the other ones are 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 off the top of my head, but it came up in the context of an employer and and, uh, a candidate. And uh, this is, this is coming.
1: Hmm. (laughs) So this is just New York City as of now.
2: As of now, it's just New York City. I'm not sure if the state's considering a similar law, uh, but now with the legalization of marijuana, uh, it's likely gonna be the norm, not the exception. Okay, what are are some of the employee related issues? So I would say that uh, one of the other things are employee handbooks. We suggest that every business uh, have an employee handbook so that the policies that they're required to have by law, including the sexual harassment policy, as well as general company policies are all, uh, set forth within the handbook and people don't have to repeatedly ask HR the same question over and over again. They know what the company's policies are. And if they run into an issue, they know what the co- company's procedures are. Um, what's, what size businesses would you
1: kind of target that would you think would need an employee ha- handbook? Any size?
2: Theoretically, yes. But practically speaking, I would say that, uh, a business with probably five or more employees should have something in place. Uh, it typically is not as comprehensive as something that a business that's 100 employees have. Uh, but right now, you can pretty much put something in place uh, cost-effectively, uh, depending upon the size of your business and how much you wanna customize it.
1: What, what else? Is there any other
2: issues when it comes to employees? So, related to employees are issues related to independent contractors. Uh, I have a lot of clients who call and say, uh, rather than having to deal with payroll, uh, I just wanna put someone on, they're not gonna be here that long, I'm gonna use it as an independent contractor. And we caution clients against that. They run into problems with the labor department who comes in and does an audit. Uh, It often comes up when you terminate that independent contractor and they apply for unemployment, but they were never being reported as an employee. Uh, So there are fines that can be imposed, there's back taxes that may be imposed we definitely suggest that if you're going to use an independent contractor to take certain steps to ensure that if there's an audit done, they're more likely than not going to be found to be an independent contractor. And the nature of the, the acts they perform for your company uh, are somewhat indicative, uh, but one of my hard, fast rules that I give clients is if you're gonna pay somebody as an independent contractor, make them form their own company and pay them uh to their company do not pay them as an individual
1: so even if you're going to hire a summer intern you would need to put that summer intern uh as a w-2 employee absolutely
2: and and bringing up interns uh there's also issues with respect to paid and unpaid interns Uh, there are laws that govern that off the top of my head unless there are educational benefits to that intern being in your business Uh, you have to pay them. If they're Mm -hmm. performing a job that would ordinarily uh, be performed by somebody who gets paid, they have to be paid as well. Even if they're getting credits, they have to be paid. Uh, So that's a very technical situation that has to be evaluated based on the specific facts. But I I do caution employers with respect to that every summer.
1: Yes. (laughs) Since I'm going to be hiring an intern this this summer, it's good to know. Yes. You mentioned issues between owners. Can you explain what you mean by that?
2: Yeah, so... Very often, businesses are set up by multiple people uh, who decide to become partners in some form or another. Typically, I find that most people set up a corporation or a limited liability company. They have great ideas with respect to what they wanna do with their business, but they need to make sure that they have an agreement between themselves. And in the context of a corporation, it's referred to as a shareholder agreement. In the context of a limited liability company, it's called an operating agreement. And it kind of sets forth uh, who's responsible for what things uh, with regard to the management of the business, who's responsible for potentially putting in money uh, because most businesses do require some form of capital and can address a number of other types of issues. And similar to the employee handbook, the shareholder agreement can be as complex or as simple as the situation requires. But I find that too many people don't get a shareholder agreement done initially and then it becomes a problem later on when they run into a problem. It's, it's much better off having the agreement put in place while everyone's getting along and still friends than when there's a problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we work with business owners too, and I'm amazed how many how many, I would say more than less, we find have buy sell agreements or agreements in, agreements in place because nobody, nobody thinks something's gonna happen to them until it happens to them.
2: Right, and that's another situation where it often comes up is when someone retires or dies uh, and the determination of now what do we do? And, and one thing I also learned from one of the matters I worked on probably about 10 years ago is if you go through the trouble and you spend the money and you put an agreement in place, make sure you know where it is (laughs) It it sounds like common sense but in this situation they couldn't find it they knew they had one they had insurance to fund the buyout but they had a company that was the operating business they had a company that was the real estate entity and it wasn't really quite clear and nobody really remembered whether the insurance is supposed to be used to buy out both or just the operating business and unfortunately the attorney who prepared it was no longer practicing law so he no longer had his files and he had no specific recollection so it's it's it seems so common sense but make sure you have a copy so what do they what do you do in that kind of situation uh we had two years of litigation uh with with the widow (laughs) and and these guys were best friends uh but unfortunately that's what happens when you don't have an agreement and although they did an agreement for practical purposes there was none and it went on for two years, and it cost both sides a lot of money for legal fees, and ultimately we resol- resolved the case uh, with a settlement, but you know, it was a painful situation for all involved.
1: Yeah, great point. So for those of you business owners listening out there, make sure you have your agreement if you've had one done, and if you don't have one done, make sure you get one done.
2: Yes. That, that, that's good advice <laughs> and
1: maybe they'll listen to you because sometimes they don't listen to me. What else between owners? I guess we'd a little bit more about business succession planning as far as between owners, anything to add to that?
2: Uh, yeah. Well, obviously uh, when it comes to business succession planning, there needs to be a plan with respect to how to fund it. Uh, so obviously, as you know, uh, very often it's funded with life insurance, mm-hmm. uh, but that only works if someone dies. Uh, so we do address how to fund it if someone wants to retire and leave, and usually it's a payout over time. And you know, depending on the circumstances, we'll come up with formulas to make sure that you're not starving the business of all the cash.
1: Yeah. And, and also if, it if somebody gets disabled as well, I'm, I'm guessing.
2: Yeah, we, we do address that. Uh, but as you know, disability insurance is expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some people do opt to fund buyouts with disability insurance. And also sometimes we also put key man insurance in place because it's great that you have life insurance to buy out the partner, but that partner was in most cases serving a very important role in the company. And the company's gonna suffer with the loss of that partner.
1: Excellent point.
2: So let's let's jump ahead to
1: the question, common legal issue number three, real estate issues. So what type of real estate issues do you see that typically arise for business owners?
2: Well, as I said before, obviously most businesses operate from somewhere. Uh, and aside from those that are home-based businesses, there's an office, there's retail space. So most cases, they end up renting the space. So very often, there's lease issues. And nobody really pays attention to their lease except at the time they enter into it. Uh, do you know when your lease expires?
1: I do know when my, my lease expires <laughs> because I just, I just looked at it. So my, I got two more two and a half more years.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I have about a year and a half. I know also. But if you ask most business owners, they don't know. And uh, you know we often get involved in helping them to negotiate a, a renewal, although we, we tend to leave that to the brokers. But obviously when they run into problems with their landlords with regard to various things, including maintenance issues um, or other things the landlord's supposed to perform for them that they don't, uh, we get involved in helping them try and resolve it. Uh, in addition, we represent clients all the time in buying property. Uh, I find the most successful business owners are the ones who not only own their business, but they own the property from which they operate. And it allows them to also survived during bad times. Uh, my father was in the car business and the car dealers that survived through bad t- economic times were those people who own their property because they can control their costs. And, and that's really an important thing of owning property uh, is you're controlling the costs and you're not subject to the annual increases that are you know, included in most leases. Uh, and, and lastly, with regard to real estate, uh, very often people finance it. So we, we get involved in helping them with regard to the financing of the property, uh, negotiating the loan documents with the banks, and coordinating the closings on the, uh, the loans.
1: Yeah, so, so give, it, give, give us an example of like really an issue that you see pop up as far as real estate.
2: I would have to say it has to do with disputes with landlords. Uh, and it's not just non-payment of rent. It's usually something that the landlord's supposed to do for them, uh, that they haven't, whether it's, uh, making some sort of improvement or usually it's, there's some sort of problem with the building, the roof leaks, the bathrooms aren't working properly and the landlord's ignoring it or putting a bandaid on it and not doing really what the proper job is. Mm. So
1: making sure that somebody like yourself is really analyzed the lease before you sign one is important.
2: Yeah. And knowing what your rights are. And, and one of the other things to bring up is very often leases include options uh, to renew, which uh, in certain environments makes sense to do. You, you need to know when the timing is to exercise that option, because if you miss it and the rent's going to be uh, lower than what the market is, the landlord's not going to honor that exercise.
1: That's for sure, <laughs> that is for sure. So you made reference earlier to businesses having proper agreements in place. Can you give a few examples of the types of agreements that businesses typically typically need?
2: Yeah, well, it depends upon the nature of the business. One of the things, especially for customers, uh, customers clients of mine uh, who are manufacturers are terms and conditions uh, with respect to uh, the sale of products, terms and conditions with respect to their suppliers, and those are the most common for manufacturers. Um, I also find that confidentiality agreements are important. Uh, it depends upon the context of the business, but certainly uh, in my business it's, it's implied because uh, we have a client, uh, attorney-client privilege. But in other businesses, if they're doing manufacturing and they're getting proprietary information in connection with manufacturing products, they may have to sign a confidentiality agreement and uh, sometimes restrictions with respect to who else they'll do business with. Uh, so, so those are the typical ones that I see. So
1: there's one that pops into my head only because it's relevant in my business is non-compete agreements. Uh, we always have discussion with other advisors on how enforceable is some of those agreements and how can they be structured properly? Can you elaborate a little bit on that?
2: I, I can. Um, in New York State, they have to be reasonable. What, what's reasonable? <laughs> no, it depends on the circumstances. You like those answers? Uh, it really depends. It depends upon the nature of what the employee does, how high a level they are. Typically, a non-compete addresses how long you can't compete for or how long you can't work for a competitor, what the geographic region is, and specifically what it is you can't do. And again, depending upon the nature of the employee and what their title was with the company, what their responsibilities were, the higher they are, the more likely a longer period of time, a broader scope uh, will apply. But there are other things you can have uh, in place that are more likely to be enforced, and we refer to those as things like non-solicitation. You know, I don't care sometimes, or my clients don't care, uh, if a employee goes to work for a competitor, as long as they're not trying to steal the customers that the employer introduced them to. So a non-solicitation is something that's enforceable generally for a longer period of time and can apply to existing clients, uh, future clients that are prospects of the business, as well as past clients who've worked with the business, say in the last two years, three years, whatever you know is included in the agreement. The other thing is you want to include a confidentiality obligation because you want to make sure they're not using your trade secrets and anything you've developed like client lists to go out and compete with you. So those are uh, aspects of what we refer to as restrictive covenant agreements that are generally enforceable and sometimes in the right context include the standard non-compete.
1: Yeah, I mean all really critical agreements that a business should have and sometimes when you're starting a business and you wanna get out there and make sales, you don't take the time to make sure you put all these agreements in place, right?
2: Yeah, and, and one of the simple things is that most businesses get paid for the services they provide or the goods that they sell. And I have clients who will come to me and say, this guy didn't pay me. I said, well, what do your terms and conditions say with respect to late fees, interest, and most importantly, collection of legal fees? Like, what agreement? <laughs> uh, so so that that that's a, a, a very typical situation where just having something on an invoice uh, that addresses those issues Uh, will go a long way in in making sure you get paid. And if you don't get paid and you have to pursue them, they're going to at least compensate you for the additional cost of collection.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So you mentioned as the last of the most common legal issues, protecting IP
2: created by the business. So what do you mean by that? Okay, so IP, we're talking about intellectual property. And sometimes businesses have different types of things. They may invent products, product names, as well as trade secrets constitute different types of intellectual property. And, and the types of protections you can get are trademarks, patents, and copyrights. Um, and, and those are things that depending upon the business should definitely have protected. Because if somebody wants to use a similar name, you wanna make sure you can stop them. I had a chiropractor who somebody opened up not far away from him in Manhattan, uh, with a very similar name and he was getting that guy's phone calls that's how he became aware of them so he had a trademark that was on file and we sent out a letter and they immediately stopped using the same name hmm. so it's important to have and and certainly in the long run uh pays off if somebody tries to unfairly compete hmm. so you just you mentioned trademarks patent and copyrights do you assist with all of these we actually don't uh, we only really get involved in trademark filings uh the other types of of intellectual property rights are more of a specialty patents are usually done by people who have engineering backgrounds uh so we have other attorneys we work with and we refer them to uh our clients to them for assistance and we found that that works much better than us getting involved in something we don't really know how to do
1: Mm -hmm. speaking of what you do you
2: know how do you work with your clients do you work on a monthly retainer generally don't we we typically work with our clients on an as needed basis And most companies don't have constant legal needs. So they contact us uh, when they need help and we build them on an hourly basis. And uh, we we, we try not to nickel and dime our clients because frankly, I wouldn't wanna be nickel and dimed. So we don't charge for introductory phone calls. We don't charge for, uh, hey, what's going on with this? Uh, If we're doing substantive work, we charge for it. But I don't wanna discourage a client from coming to me and saying, hey, I may have this problem or I have this problem, I may need your help, what do you think? So th- that's kind of been my philosophy and I treat clients from a billing perspective like I'd wanna be treated if I was working with a professional.
1: Anything that we haven't covered today that you wanna add about the five uh, most important legal issues that a business should be aware of? Uh, I've probably
2: bored everybody long enough.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> no, this is all great, great information. And I think anyone out there that's either thinking about starting a business or running a business should be, should be well aware of. So, uh, thank you for joining us today, Lee. If anyone out there is interested in talking to Lee, you can call him at 631-777-2401, or you can find his information at www.schwarzettinger.com. Thanks again, Lee.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Larry, this was fantastic.
0: Lee, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I just sat back and enjoyed your guys' conversation. And uh, I know that hopefully business owners that are out there are going to take this as a good clue that they, they they need to get their ducks in a row. They have a few things that they should probably be contacting you about. So hopefully they do that. Larry, again, thanks for bringing them on the show.
1: Uh, you're welcome, Eric. You
0: bet. And thank you all for listening to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Larry comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Heller Wealth Management, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day, every day. And we'll see you next time.